Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. We have an extra special treat for you this week. Wendy Mullins from the iconic fashion label Built by Wendy is joining us for this super exciting episode. Before we get talking to Wendy, we want to remind you that we need your 2000s online dating stories. I know you have them. I know some of them are awkward. I know some of them are hilarious. We want the awkward ones. Yes. We want the hilarious ones. But if if it was also just like really boring but very Uh successful, we'll take that too. That's true. we all know that online dating was and is <laughs> a weird and different beast. In fact, before we were recording, Kim and I were already like, have you noticed this about online dating? It was like a Seinfeld <laughs> moment over here. All of my girlfriends and I dated some of the weirdest uh-huh. weirdos, even one with a beard that went down to his like belly button. Weirdo, beardo. Weirdo, beardo. Uh, <laughs> lots of wackos, lots of guys with really – I learned so much about psychology. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, there's also – I know tons of people who met their long-term partner on online dating. So we want to hear those stories too. We are rounding up all these listeners' stories for an upcoming series that's going to go on for a while. It kind of is like a great segue from the 2000s into a long series – well, not long, but, you know, a bit of a series about online dating and how it has changed us and the, all the phenomena attached to it. You can give us a call on the hotline. It's 717 925 7417. You can also email us a voice memo that you've recorded on your phone or your computer. Or, I mean, I guess you could just write the whole thing out in an email and send it to us. And uh, Kim and I could like do a dramatic reenactment That's of it. That's true. <laughs> you could do a dramatic reenactment. <laughs> you know, I was like a like really into theater as a kid. So maybe, maybe this is my chance to revisit that. <laughs> I did take some theater classes when I was a kid and I was absolutely terrible. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe it'll, I'll turn it into like a really dramatic monologue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you want to hear the terrible, right? Yeah. Oh, I want to hear mm-hmm. it all. I want to hear it all. Um, also, you know, make sure to follow us on our Instagram. It's at underscore the underscore department. Um, you know, we have a great community growing there. Lots of, um, you know, extra tidbits and, um, you know, little shareable contents and um, inside jokes from the episode of the week. Plus, you know, uh, you know, when we drop a new ep- episode, you know exactly when it's coming. And then if you want to follow our show notes or look at any images that we're talking about, you know, make sure to check out our website, thedepartment.world. Um, last, and we say this every single time, you know, if you're enjoying the show, it always helps us to leave a star rating and review on Apple podcasts, or just make sure to follow us on your preferred podcast streaming service. All right. Are you ready to get into it? Woo! Um, so I'm going to introduce Wendy. Say hello, Wendy. Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> So established in the mid-90s, Built by Wendy went on to, I guess, establish itself in a pre-internet, which is absolutely fascinating. We'll get into that a little bit more with Wendy. 
um, era as this covetable and girl crushable indie brand of our dreams, really one of the first indie fashion brands to lead the way for so many others, even to this day. We saw the label in literally all of our favorite fashion magazines that we have talked about a few episodes ago, you know, Bust and Nylon, etc., particularly being worn by the coolest musicians and er, it girls and guys. She fascinated us with vintage-inspired apparel, printed tees with drawings of legendary characters and people, jeans, hipster logo cotton totes, and even her infamous guitar straps. Wendy and her brand went on to continue to explore and inspire a whole DIY movement happening in the 90s and aughts, partnering partnering with simplicity patterns and even publishing her own books on sewing. I'm actually literally getting goosebumps thinking about how 90s Kim, (laughs) this is actually very, very, very true, would be in complete awe of sitting here today and talking to someone that was so influential to me. And I'm sure so many other people listening out there. I know for one, Wendy is one of the reasons I went to fashion school in the early aughts. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) I mean, Wendy, we are so excited to have you here. And I have to tell you that my husband, Dustin, is also really excited. Uh, When we talked about Built by Wendy a couple episodes ago, we've talked about you like a lot lately. Uh, Dustin had to go dig into his closet and pull out his Built by Wendy Wranglers, which still looked amazing. I mean, that rise was low, but they looked really, really good. (laughs) And uh, we, he and I had like, we'd never talked about that before. We had a total like fangirl moment uh, about all of the jeans that we had bought (laughs) over the years that were built by Wendy. uh, And we we, were like, bring them back. Um, But I've talked on Clothes Horse about how I was lucky enough to learn sewing in Girl Scouts and HOMAC. But I still felt really bashful about sewing my own stuff. It seemed really intimidating, but Wendy really empowered me to think of sewing as a cool thing that you could make cool clothing because by the aughts and even in the nineties, sewing patterns had been in a really uncool rut for a long time, right? Frumpy. (laughs) You go to the Joanne or like in Portland, you have Fabric Depot and they have like every (laughs) pattern ever. And yet it's still just, Mm -hmm. there was never anything good. Uh, I have been moving the same copy of So You, Wendy's book, back and forth across the country with me for 15 years now. I bought one for my daughter. I've gifted it to so many other people over the years. And I remember specifically pre-ordering it when it came out from a very early Amazon. Oh, my God. The bookseller? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When Amazon was a place you bought books. I mean, I guess you still can. But yes, when they were known as a bookseller, I... And I was telling Wendy when we were preparing for this that like I was so anxious about damaging the patterns that I traced them all and cut out the traced versions and then very neatly folded and put them back in the book, the originals. (laughs) So just, I I mean, I think we've (laughs) talked in the past few episodes about how like the DIY movement, specifically in these crafts that were considered like women's craft, like sewing you know, needlework, knitting, all of that stuff really got a major shot in the arm and the aughts. And I would say that Wendy is the one who made sewing cool again. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> especially especially amongst the hipsters too. Yeah. Who of course were like the the proprietors of cool. <laughs> 
But it was true. It was like all of a sudden, every cute girl with glasses was like buying a sewing machine and bragging about it. Mm-hmm. And like, really? From, oh my God. Yeah. Especially Sorry. in Portland. It was like everyone was sewing. And then like what happened is like cool fabric stores started to open because that mm. was the other thing. Oh yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah when like there was some of those, I was like, oh, they actually have really nice fabric here. You, were, you definitely influenced it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, yeah, really? I just feel like oh sewing God. had like like knitting was coming back, embroidery had been coming back, but like sewing just hadn't quite yet. Cause like your option was to go to like Joanne or your wherever else your mom had bought fabric or your grandma, and the patterns were boring. Mm. The fabrics were always just, just so like a poly blend with like a like a tiny floral. Print. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was just so bad. Or like a duck. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like a ditzy, a ditzy floral. Oh, ditzy, yes, exactly. A so ditzy <laughs> floral or some sort of like children's pattern. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah. just terrible. It's like sewing just was not cool. And it didn't help that most of us had not learned how to sew. Like that – I grew up in Pennsylvania and when I was a kid, it was a law that everybody had to take home back in middle school. So I was one of the few people who got to sew. I mean that's where I learned how to sew was – see, I'm trying to think what grade it was. Maybe it was seventh grade. It was a required home ec class. And I remember you know, it's mm-hmm. like early 80s. And um, I don't know if you guys remember jams. They were like a surf short. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I just want to tell you that by 1990, we were still sewing jams in home really? We were still sewing them in easy. home ec too. Yes, I remember. Yeah, I remember the teeth. You know, you would fold <laughs> over the waist and put in a drawstring and you, know, you do it in like a yeah. Hawaiian print and Remember like the jams label, the big rectangle? Like, yeah. So it's like on a back waist. It was great. Name brand. Yeah. So that was <laughs> one of the first things I made. I mean, it wasn't, they weren't offering that. Like, I think I had a pair of jams and then I brought it in and, you know, did a, a rub off of the pattern and, and made them. And so that was the first thing I made. And then I, I remember I made, oh my God, I bought like some, light pink cotton twill from uh not joanne it was like before joanne some local store and i wanted to make like a drop waist kind of like 80s where it's like a yoke a waist yoke drop waist you know with pleats Mm -hmm. full skirt and i remember i didn't know how to put in a zipper so i just made it wider (laughs) and then i I put it on and then i just rolled over the top you know Sounds like some of my sewing projects for Seriously. sure. <laughs> Make it work. Make it work, totally. right? <laughs> well, so now we know you got your real start with a pair of jams. Yeah. But mm-hmm. how did you and how did you come to start Built by Wendy? Oh my God. Um, okay, well, let me just preface this by saying that Built by Wendy is like a school project that just has gone on for way too long. <laughs> like there was wow. never you know, I didn't like have a business plan or sit down and say like, I'm going to do this. It was a, a really organic, I guess, chain of events that sort of led to it. But, um, I mean, God, I mean, so yeah, I took home ec, I started sewing, um, in high school, uh, like I would s- steal my dad's shirts and, like his suit pants and things. Do you guys remember like where you would take jeans and you would make it into a jean skirt and you sort of like fold over? Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Yep. Oh, yep. I've, I've made those. Yeah. Yes. And then, yes. so I would yes. do that. I would take old jeans and then I would um, 
take plaid, like for my dad's, you know, like LL Bean flannel shirts. And I would sew panels in the side. Like I would cut the side seams of the jean skirt and then sew plaid in. So it was sort of like punky, you know? Grunge and punk, yeah. Yeah, but this is like 1984. Um, Oh, okay. So this is punk. Yeah, (laughs) I guess. It's like post-punk. And so I would do that. I would take my dad's, you know, like his – I remember – you know how dads, they always have their dress shirts and they're always in a pile that need to go to the dry cleaner. You know, they're just like mm-hmm. a pile yes. in the laundry room. So I remember stealing some of those and like tie dyeing them and cutting them up. I, and then in high- so he did not know that you were taking these. I don't these. think he knew. These were not approved. No. no. <laughs> for destruction <laughs> and manipulation. No. I just like would steal stuff. And also, so my mom did a lot of sewing and so growing up, we had a little sewing room. And I remember when I was a kid, she had all this ultra suede, which was really special because oh. ultra suede is really expensive. Oh. And she had all these mm-hmm. swatches and just small pieces. And I remember like going in there and taking a Sharpie and like drawing on them and then, you know, making some sort of patchwork pillow. And I remember her yelling at me and being super pissed. <laughs> like I took her ultra suede. Um, <laughs> But then when I was in high school, and this was Chicago, right? Yeah, this is suburban Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I took a fashion merchandising class in high school. Oh wow, that's um, super cool. Yeah, I know it's pretty rad that they offered that. And I remember there was, you know, you had to do the silhouettes, or it was like triangle or circle. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? You know, where you yes. draw like a, it's like body types and yes. <laughs> Anyways, I did all that, but I remember I did a photo shoot and I swear to God, I have this slide slide somewhere because, um, we had this extra roll of star Wars wallpaper that my brother's bedroom was wallpapered in. And I rolled that out on a wall and set that up as a backdrop and then did this photo shoot of me modeling. And it was so crazy. It's like the, like the cutoff you know, denim miniskirt that I made. And I remember I had fishnets that I like ripped up and I was wearing combat boots and it was like this whole look. It's so embarrassing. Um, with, with the Star Wars in the background? Yeah. Yeah. That is like so amazing. I, I have no idea. You know how like people just sort of, they grab whatever they have. Yeah. There was no like overall vision. It was like, this is cool and this is cool and this is cool. And I'll just put them all together. It makes no sense. Which I still sort of work that way sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. There's things where I'm like, huh, that makes no sense. I had to do this like um, Bad News Bears t-shirts back in the day. Oh, I mean, I yes. still have them. I remember but, this. But like I would do things because of being having more ideas than I had money. So I would like combine ideas just because <laughs> I had to like get my ideas out. Uh-huh. And so there was this mural. Oh, this is when I lived in New York and early 90s and there's this mural that i would walk by every day done by chico this like <gasps> famous down you know chico he did like all the murals downtown and there was one that said oh god it said um god i'm spacing it was like ugh, i can't think of it now i'll think of it later but it it was just this silly line it was like uh, i i do nothing i just do whatever or some like weird random line like that and then i did a bad news bears t-shirt and i was like but I also really like that line from Chico's mural. So I put that in with the Bad News Bears t-shirt, like on the image. And it made no sense. It was like, 
was that a line from Bad News Bears? <laughs> no, it was just a random line from a mural that I walked by. Like, it doesn't, it's so weird. I eventually like took it off and redid the t-shirt, but I, it's like stuff like that where it's like, I'm not really thinking, <laughs> I guess. But that's what, that's what um, art is. Yeah. It's putting yeah. together things that mean are meaningful to you. Exactly. And then I, let's see. So after fashion merchandising. So, you know what? I was thinking about this because I, I knew you guys would ask me about this. And I've <laughs> never told a story before. And I kind of couldn't because my mom was still alive. But I think because I think it would upset her. Mm. But like the real story, I think of how I got to where, how it went from like the next level from fashion merchandising was um, after that, my parents were having all these problems and getting divorced. And I was sort of like, you know, fucked up teenager and running away and all this stuff. And my mom locked me up in like a mental institution for three months because I was just running away and she didn't know what to do with mm-hmm. me. And when I was there, um, there was nothing to do. You know, you just sat around and watched TV and did like group therapy and, you know, stuff like that. And I was just like, Oh my God, yeah. I have to get out of this place. Um, but they had a little craft room with a sewing machine. So I went in there and I would just sew and I would make like the craziest stuff with like whatever wow. scraps they had. And I would like take my clothes and cut it apart and make stuff. And da, da. And so when I got out, part of like the, like my mom was pretty freaked out, you know, when I got out and she sort of, I don't know if like learning your lesson is right, but she had a transformation during that where I think she realized like she was being kind of a fucked up mom and she needs to like get her shit together. Mm -hmm. And that like, I'm a kid and she sort of needs to take some responsibility for parenting me. (laughs) And so when I got out, she started taking me to fabric stores. Like, and in the past I would have to go with her and I'd be super bored while she was shopping for fabrics. And I hated it the whole time. And now this time she took me and she was like, pick out patterns. And like, we'd pick out fabrics and she like, I know it's really like kind of heartbreaking. And so she took time out and like actually showed me how to use patterns. And so, and we made all these clothes together and, and then I saved up, all my babysitting money. And when I graduated high school, I really wanted my own sewing machine. And so my grandpa like matched me with my babysitting money. And so I bought this sewing machine and it's actually the machine that I sewed on this entire time up until I closed my New York store in 2012. That machine actually broke down like after being, I mean, I sewed every day on it. What brand was it? Uh, Bernina. Yeah, it was okay. Bernina. But I mean, yeah. those machines those last good. forever. Yeah. I mean, I had it from 1987 yes. to 2012, sewing on it almost every day. So, and I had fixed it up a bunch of times, getting it repaired. But it was really weird when I closed my New York store. It just broke down for like the final time. And I, when I closed the store, I just put it out on the street and I was like, bye, thinking like, okay, I'm done. I'm never going to do this again. And then cut to like, <laughs> Oh, wait, I kind of need that. <laughs> and actually, I have a Bernina again, but it's my friends. She's like, you know how many people buy a sewing machine and they're like, I'm going to buy the nicest one. And then they do it once and then yeah. they never sew again. <laughs> in the closet. Yeah. Yes, so exactly. She, she's like one of those people. So she's like, I have this machine if you want it. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll take it. So I actually have a machine. It's not even mine. It's so sad. I should probably buy 
my own, but whatever. She doesn't want it back. Do you sew all of your, oh your my goods? God. No. Or do God, you no. Oh, so, oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Um, okay. Sorry. I was like, whoa, are, are you mostly sew- sewing the samples? Could you imagine? I mean, I would have I, no life. I was, I was trying to. I was like, I can't even, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I mean, I would have full body carpal tunnel oh, if I was yes. doing that. Um, but no, I... I will sew samples. I do all my pattern making and then I'll do also, you know, some like bad samples just to check the Mm -hmm. fit and make sure that the pattern works right. Um, And I mean, lately my daughter has been making me sew her doll clothes and it's, I'm losing my mind. (laughs) I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. I literally, I like, I've turned into a child. She like has these like monster high dolls and they're so tiny and my eyes are so (laughs) bad because I'm old and it's like (laughs) the tiniest clothes. And I'm just like, and when you do something for a living, the last thing you want to do is do that, you know? Little details. (laughs) And so I'm like trying to sew these tiniest clothes and just throwing a tantrum at my poor daughter. It's just like, fine, we don't have to do it. (laughs) But she did like, this is on the same tip. You can edit this out. But like she, we got in this hilarious argument because she watches some like YouTube craft person and you could download or like pay a dollar 50 and do like an Etsy download of, the pattern for the doll's outfit, some dress. And I was like, you know, we don't need to do that. Like I'm a professional pattern maker. Like I can make a doll pattern in like two seconds on a napkin. And she's like, no, no, no. Like we really need to do like this YouTube person's (laughs) pattern. And I was like, fine. Like already kind of like a little annoyed and jealous. Like who's this YouTuber? Who's like, you know, yeah. And um, that could be you. That could easily be you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And so she does it. And then like, I'm kind of like, I looked at the pattern and it really was not a well-done pattern and like the seam allowances were off and it just like didn't make any sense like the sleeve didn't fit into the armhole and I'm like getting kind of tech with it by the way it's like one inch big this pattern. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> so I, I say to her like you know I think I just want to go rogue like let me just redo it and she was like I think you need to follow um oh the the craft person <laughs> It's named Wenji, which is sort of like Wendy, but it's Wenji. And yes, she's like, I so think close. You, I think you need to follow Wenji's pattern. And I literally, it's so embarrassing. I look at her and I was like, I am a professional fashion designer for 30 years. Um, I think I kind of know how to make a pattern. Oh like, God. God, like, is on her. And then I was like, I'm such a loser. Anyways, I know. <laughs> Um, so what was I talking about? Oh yeah. So then after that, I was going to go to college and I wanted to go to fashion school. And I mean, my dad will probably not listen to this podcast, but I have already confronted him on this issue that I have with him, which is he was like fashion stupid and Mm. you should get a bachelor's degree and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, so I went to University of Kansas. And, um, Lawrence, right? In Lawrence, yeah. and Which is such a, I, such a fun yeah, city. Yeah, I've heard such great things. Yeah. Or little yeah. town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was, you know, pretty campus. And honestly, I just wanted to get away from my family. I was mm-hmm. just like, I'll go anywhere, whatever. Um, and when I got there, I um, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll transfer. Or I'll just you know, I'll just get through this and then, you know, move to New York and do fashion. But I literally closed my eyes 
and picked a major, you know, like I just didn't care. And so the whole time I was there, I was just sewing at night and making my own clothes. And then I would have little yard sales on the weekend. So interesting. It's like your passion. You're just like following your passion. Yeah, that's what I mean. It wasn't like a thing. Yeah, it was like I just did it. You know, like I had jobs. I worked at a bakery and, you know, like I did like college jobs and I worked in the catering department at the school and whatever. And But I always, any time I had, I was just sewing and making clothes and selling them. And then I start out I really liked music and so my friend had a record store so he let me sell some of my stuff there and then when I go up to Chicago I brought some of the things I made to this record store that I used to shop at all the time and so the buyer carried that stuff and then like what what kind of things Oh my God. I mean, I'll text you guys some photos, but it would be, was it, it was like clothing or yeah, was, was it clothing. your guitar straps? No, no, I hadn't made the guitar straps yet. It was all clothing. Oh, okay. So like, um, I would get like plaid flannel and then I would get like a two inch wide elastic and I would just stretch that and sew it and make kind of like a dirndl skirt. Mm. And I used a oh. lot of rickrack. Like basically everything was accessed from a home sewing store. So it was like rickrack mm-hmm. and just you know, hundred percent cotton fabrics. And, um, but during that time I would just go to yard sales and buy vintage patterns. Um, and so I started collecting those. So I had tons of those. And, um, and so I would look through the patterns and, you know, take them apart and cut them up and, and then, you know, just do my own thing. Um, so that's how I developed my style, I guess. I mean, yeah, it wasn't, again, it's like, I, there was no point where I stopped and was like, okay, this is what I'm doing, or this is my style. It was just working with whatever I could afford and had access to. Um, it makes sense that your aesthetics came out of like kind of sixties and seventies, um, kind of like patterns, yeah, but were like modernized. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the golden era of sewing, uh-huh. right? And like when maybe for like the first time in a long time or the last time in a long time where like the patterns you could buy in the store were actually like on trend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, because I also think, yeah. you know, now there's so many interesting fabrics and people do their own prints more that I think back then you're pretty limited with some pretty basic pa- yeah. uh, fabrics. So you really have to use interesting pattern making to make you know, like a lime green canvas look interesting, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, you know, and in general, if you look at fashion, you know, um, more inexpensive clothes will use more prints or things like that because, you know, expensive clothes use expensive fabrics. And so, you know, like if you look at Celine, Mm. like you're like, oh, that's so sophisticated and beautiful because they're using like, you know, double face cashmere and you could just make like a basic coat and it's beautiful. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a lot of money, you have to use cheaper fabrics. And so when you use cheaper fabrics, you can't have more minimal styles because that will highlight how cheap the fabric is. So you have to do more complicated designs or prints or trims and things like that. So, And if you're in Lawrence, can- Kansas, yeah. you know, your access to uh, oh my God. like yeah. a, a double face cashmere no. source no is probably going to be pretty limited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I got my labels, like I would get mm-hmm. sewing magazines. And so the way that I named it Built by Wendy was, you know, like 
those made by grandma labels that you could pre-order <gasps> from sewing magazine. Oh, yeah. You know, like did your mom knit you yes. sweaters or your grandma where it's like made by Nana or something. <gasps> that is and so cute. <laughs> so you could order those from the back of sewing magazine. So that's where I was like, Oh, I'm going to do like a twist on that. So that is like, so oh, cute. Lady. Um, and so then I got like custom labels made. Like I remember like calling the place and being like, can you change the word and make it like this? And, you know, um, but yeah. And then, so what happened then? So yeah. So then I was selling at a few record stores in the Midwest. So I would just sew and make tons of clothes and then throw it in a box and ship it up to the store and sell it on consignment. And then, um, when I graduated, I was like, I need to get to New York because that's where everything is. And I went to FIT for a year and what year was that? Um, 92. Nice. And, but at the same time I was working at this record store in Soho and, um, my boss there let me have a little corner for free. And so I started selling my clothes there. Um, and then, you know, my parents were like, okay, that's cool. You graduated. You should get a job in fashion. I was like, ugh. I was just, it's not really, <laughs> I was like, ugh. okay. But so I got a job at this weird junior sportswear company that just knocked off stuff. It was so grim. Oh, that sounds fun. Uh, a junior, it was, a junior it was so sportswear grim. company. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. I've had a lot of friends who've had to do uh -huh. that. Like that was their first job. Oh, gross. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, but so when I was there, I, you know, I would work at the record stores on the weekend and then I, I would go up to 40th and 8th and work at this horrible junior sportswear company and like <laughs> listen to Howard Stern oh. on my little transistor radio which was you know he's slightly perverted so it'd be really embarrassing <laughs> i'd like turn it down and you know like eat my gross deli uh -huh. salad at like my cutting table and it was just sort of uh. grim but the positive part was you know i met some nice people there that were okay and um but so i would always show my designs to the the boss guy because they would just go to paris and go shopping and then they come back and just knock everything off and sell it you know for cheap mm -hmm. it was like early yes. fast fashion yes and i would be like you guys don't need to do that like i'm here <laughs> like i'm a designer <laughs> like why were you why are you guys doing that like i could just design for you you know and so i would like show them my designs and they would like roll their eyes really and, you know be like oh. yeah uh. but then this is really sad. So this one time, so I was a sample cutter. So I, there was one guy who did the patterns and then I was at the table next to him and I would cut out the samples and then I would hand the little bundles to the sample hand. So it was like the three of us were like in a little triangle. And this one time they came back from doing a trade show at the Javits and they're like, oh my God, you need to cut um, this new style. We've, you know, it's selling like hotcakes. And they, handed it over like they handed the pattern back to the pattern maker and he like pulled it out for me and then they sent it to me and as I'm cutting it I was like this looks like my design <gasps> yeah and so I'm cutting it and I was like oh my god this is like the little jumper that I showed them you know I didn't see this whatever Jeez. and the sample hand sewed it and like literally it was like watching it being sewn and I that was is like crushing yeah. It was crushing, and I started crying, oh, and I quit. Good for you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, this is bullshit. And so I 
went back to the record store and, you know, asked my boss to give me some more hours and I would go to my apartment and sew at night and make, make some clothes, you know, for my little shop. And, but I remember I was so stressed out cause I was like, how am I going to sew clothes all the time to fill this like little corner? And like a week <laughs> later, the woman who was a Chinese sample hand, she called, she had her son call me cause she didn't speak English. And he called me and he was like, my mom doesn't like working there anymore because you're not oh, there. We were really tight. And uh, she quit. And her and my dad are opening uh, a factory and they want to sew all your stuff. Wow. And oh, what? Yeah. So they started sewing all my stuff and they've been sewing all my stuff up until 2012. Yeah. Yeah. They sewed my stuff. Are they still around? They are. They actually, so they just moved it's so weird because i moved to la three years ago and they moved from china so they moved back to china like in mm -hmm. let's see 2006 seven and then they started doing my stuff from their factory in china and then they moved to irvine like three years ago so i actually went oh. to visit them like early covid or right before covid um, are they still producing? No, no they're things? retired. They're really old. And, they're yeah, but their now. son is my age, and I'm total buds with him, and Aww. he's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that is such a heartwarming and story. That really Thank is. It, like all worked yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up staying at the record store, selling my stuff there, and then, you know, I, I got a. Oh, that's where I started making the guitar straps. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, are like, oh, I don't want to mix guitar straps, but I actually was you know, like a clothing designer before then. But I got a lot of press on the guitar straps because they were unique at the time. So much. Yeah. I mean, Courtney Love. I saw Courtney <laughs> oh, yeah. Love in those things constantly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It made I me just... want to play guitar. <laughs> right? It did, right? Yeah. So I could wear one of those guitar straps. Definitely really iconic for so many of like the cool musicians of that era and apparently people who were not too. Right. <laughs> so uh -huh. those I've sewed every single one of those myself. Like I get, and you, whoa, you still make yeah, them, right? I still make them. I mean, I, I get the straps made now cause I don't want to be doing all mm -hmm. of that. So, but I sew all the pictures on. Um, and so I, I don't know, I've probably made like 10,000 of them. Damn. I have no idea, but, um, yeah, I just, you know, I have them and, you know, every now and then somebody emails and is like, can you make this? I'm like, sure, why not? I mean, it makes people happy. They like it. <laughs> They're still so cool. Yeah, they still make yeah. me want to play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, like, actually then build your business pre-internet? Oh, my God. Yeah, because I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, literally, how <laughs> yeah. did Wendy do that? Because I feel like... I know. How did I like, do that? So crazy right? to think about. Like, Instagram and stuff, you know, is like what builds brands right, now. Right. And I was like... Like my brain was like, I think smoke started coming out of my ears because I just yeah. like, couldn't imagine it. <laughs> and you were also like one of the first indie indie brands, so right. like that wasn't really seen. You, yeah, like, people didn't really see a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, so I don't want to want to say that I, like I fell into what I'm doing because that would mean that I you know I don't have any like will of my own. But I, <laughs> it was you know in some ways choosing clothing was it's just a medium that sort of 
came, what I had access to at the time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if maybe my dad was a filmmaker and I had like a camera around, like I would be doing something different. But it seemed like all the things in my life at that time led to me doing that. And then, you know, I liked it and it was very satisfying to actually make something, you know. I'm kind of mm-hmm. like a closer type person. So to start something and finish it and you have this actual material thing is is a good feeling. So I was working in the record store. I had the little shop in the corner and I was sewing all the time. And then I started working with their factory and they would make, you know, like they'll make like five pair of pants for me or something. And also I just want to say that I didn't really do much grading into other sizes. So I was like, Oh, I'll just make everything in my size. <laughs> you know, like I would just have one pattern. <laughs> and so like, yeah, I'm five, two, um, at the time, you know, like I'm kind of pear shaped. So it's like, all right, if you're five, two and sort of pear shaped, like that's, that's this what is you perfect get. for you. Like, this is what you get. Like I'm not, you know, covering every shape and size or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I eventually was able to do that. But so then my friends opened another record store in the East Village. And so I also started working there and then they let me have a little corner. So I was working at both record stores and I had two little mini shops in the back and that was what I was doing. And then, um, do you guys, you guys know who Stephen Allen is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, of course. So Stephen had this little shop on Wooster street where he sold watches and he was just, wow. yeah. And then I did he did not know about that. Yeah, his parents were watch dealers. And so he oh, wow. like was sort of taking on the family business and he sold watches and he kind of wanted to get into fashion and he would come into Rocks in Your Head, the record store I worked at up the street, and buy CDs for his store. And he saw my clothes and thought they were cool. And I think I had done, oh yeah, this is it. Okay. There was a trade show at the Javits Center, like an apparel show. And, oh, and I, those are so fun. I love those. And, I miss them so much. The lighting at Javits yeah. Center is so flattering and so nice to be in oh, for 10 hours. Uh-huh, um, yeah, yeah. And so I rented a booth and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my line and try to get wholesale orders. And I remember setting up my booth and my booth looked nothing like anybody else's it was so crazy I mean like the cl- so part of the reason why I was making these clothes because there was no I either just I would just buy vintage clothes because there wasn't any mm-hmm. like what I thought were cool clothes that I related mm-hmm. to um what what was what were the clothes at of the time I don't what even, were you seeing around I, mean, I don't even know I, I I can't even remember what year was it it was like 1992 you know, oh like what gosh. were the stores then? Oh, I feel like like a lot of rayon. A lot of rayon. Yeah. <laughs> like the trendy yeah. clothes weren't really my style. I don't know. You know, I mean, I would go to thrift stores and then and I would sort of wear like punk rock clothes. It's like Gap and J. Crew. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, that's all I can think of. And like, yeah. like an Abercrombie. Yeah. J.C. Penny. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. seemed kind of lame. I don't know. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. I just was like, I, it's not my deal. Mm-hmm. And so I had this booth set up and I remember – um, just feeling weirded out, but a lot of press people like women's wear daily and different people would walk by and they were really interested in what I was doing. And, and I remember somebody coming in and being like, who are you? And what is this stuff? Like, where do you fit in, in the market? Like, are you junior? Mm-hmm. Are you bridge? Are you like all these weird terms? Oh, you know? oh, oh, yeah. and I, Missy. And I was basically like, <laughs> 
I, whoever likes these clothes should just wear them. Like, I'm not. You're like the first <laughs> contemporary brand. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, even the word contemporary is so weird. To I know. Me. Even that's, even that's. I hate, I hate that we break up like customer, like our, like the co- ways women can dress, yeah. not by like their interests or their lifestyle, but by their age. Right. It's right. So yeah. weird. It's so it's weird. So weird. It's really weird. Yeah. So I didn't have anything thought out. I mean, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have like marketing, like who's your customer and all stuff. I was just basically like, whoever likes it can wear it. That's, and, or, and who <laughs> yeah. can fit into it because if you're five, two in pear shape, like that's okay. And so, <laughs> but then like another key, like a key thing that happened was this guy walked by this older man and he was so nice. And he's like, I have a cutting room in Brooklyn here's my card. Like if you need help with production. And so I started working with him. And so, um, I ended up renting out like a little bit of warehouse space from him. That was so grim. Was it Martin? No, this guy named Bob Gaber, who is so great and nicest guy. And he had this old building, um, in Brooklyn at like Nevins and third. And it was just this industrial building. And he had a long cutting table with this one guy who just cut and he would, I think he worked with a lot of like Hasidics, um, Jews in the area making their clothes. And so he would cut all my stuff and then I would take it to my factory in Midtown and they would sew it. And so I had this good little system and then I rented some, like a little corner where I would store all my stuff. But anyway, so I did this trade show, made him as a contact and then I got a couple wholesale orders and then I went back to Stephen Allen and I was like, look, they're you know, I think there's like a market for what I do. And I think that there's other designers who need representation, you know, why don't you start a showroom and you can like rep us for wholesale. And so my friend Terry owned the store called TG 170 on Ludlow street. And, and she, yes, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. So she started carrying my stuff. And then there was like, um, my friend Pixie oh. Yates who she mm-hmm. did clothing for a little while. Um, she would make stuff or Rebecca Dannenberg. I don't know if you remember her name or, um, there was just a bunch. My friend Pamela made like girly NYC underwear and it was all like East village, triple five soul. Do you remember them? Oh my God. They had a shop across the street. Um, and then my friend Judy Rosen, um, and Nika, of course, Judy Rosen. They had a store called three Jills and a Jack that they just started. So I, became part of with them and so I would sell my stuff there and this was like like, like the the beginning of like kind of that New York um in indie fashion yeah yeah uh, yes. kind of underground scene that was such a so cool, cool scene where yeah. it was kind of DIY yeah, and it was um, it was cool and then um non-mainstream yeah we we're just like doing our own own thing you know paper magazine oh my friend Amanda Upperture did Living Doll where she made, do you guys mm. remember, it would be like a baseball jersey bodycon dress and it would say living doll oh on gosh, it with like the number, forget. you know, like Christina yes. from Boss Hog wore it on the cover of Paper Magazine. Oh, like, I totally, so, oh, oh my, my gosh, yes. Yeah. I remember this. Drool worthy. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, so then Steven started carrying my stuff and he carried like milk fed and a few, you know, these little brands. And then he opened up a little showroom upstairs and, you know, selling in Japan was really starting to happen then. And so I started Mm -hmm. getting these Japanese accounts, um, 
And so they would place big orders. But the one thing that really kind of like financially set me able to go a little bit more professional was there was this, oh my God, what was it called? Like Foxy. Yeah, I think that's what it was called, Foxy. And it was a kind of like a skater girl catalog. It was sort of like Supreme yes. for girls, um, but pre-Supreme and all that. Um, and so they had a catalog, and I remember they ordered, I did these red corduroy knickers. They were sort of like Bermuda shorts, but slim with like little patch pockets and white snaps. And they placed like a $60,000 order. It was huge. I mean, I was making like $7 an hour at the record store and like selling, you know, I had no money. (laughs) I had like four roommates and lived on Lower East Uh Side and like, you know, whatever. I was super broke. I paid like $200 rent. And I remember just, it was like, oh my God. And that set me up to be able to use that money and, you know, make more clothes and all that. But the other thing I did, which now I'm remembering too, was... So at the time, maybe this was like 94, um, because I worked at the record store, um, you know, I was friends with some musicians who would come in. And so I was friendly with Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore because they would shop there. And then my best. Very cool. Yeah. And my best friend, Jackie, was uh, Kurt and Courtney's nanny for Frances Bean when she was a baby. And so Jackie would come in with Frances in her little stroller and that's, so she connected me with Courtney. And so I would make Courtney stuff and then I became friends with Melissa off tomorrow and I would make her clothes. And, um, and then just like a lot of bands would come in and, and then, so, um, I made the guitar. Is that really kind of how it started getting more viral because you were being, shown yeah. on these these people? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, like, bands would come in. Well, I remember, like, the Thurston bought a strap for Kim, and then she started wearing it. And then, I don't know, it was just, like, I started getting some press, and then, you know, bands would shop at the record store, and they would buy the straps. And mm-hmm. so they just sort of started becoming, being everywhere. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, so I had heard that Kim and... Um, this woman, Daisy Von Firth, who was a stylist, she did like Dinosaur Junior videos and stuff like that. Yes. The two of them um, were going to start like a girl streetwear line called X Girl. Yeah. I was such yeah. a major fan in college. Yeah. And uh. so I had heard that they were going to do it. And I was like, oh, maybe I could, you know, get a job helping them because I, I was not supporting myself with Built by Wendy yet. I mean, I was like working two jobs and sewing every night and da da. But, and so I was at Brownie's seeing a show and I saw Kim there and I just went up to her and I was like, Hey, I heard you guys are doing this. Do you need help? And she was like, yeah. So I became their pattern maker. And wow. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. But the weird That's thing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked for them, but then at the same time, I, know how it came up but i became friends with some of the guys from x large Mm -hmm. maybe through that or maybe i already knew them i'm not really remembering the timing but i became friends with mike d from the beastie boys and oh i played basketball with kathleen and i don't know it was just like all the same scene and so mike hired me to do some designs for x large and so i was kind of just doing all three like i did a little stuff for x large i was helping out X girl. And then I was doing built by Wendy. How did you feel back then? Like, 
like how like being a being a part of all three of these kind of now I mean now they're iconic, but back then, you know. Yeah. It didn't really seem you know, like I was inside. Yeah. It was just like my yeah, life. Totally, I don't know. I mean totally. it was sort of like everybody was doing stuff like Aaron Rose had alleged gallery and it was like next to TG one seventy and I was like, Hey, let me have a fashion show and we were just it was just really organic. I mean, nobody was I mean, sure, Kim and Thurston and those people were famous in our world but they won't you know but a lot of the people like mike mills wasn't a director then or Mm -hmm. you know chloe 70 Mm -hmm. she was a model in the x-girl show and she worked at the store called Mm -hmm. liquid sky and like she wasn't who she was yet like kids hadn't come out or anything and so all these people that you're around are just just you're all young people doing stuff and eventually i guess some of them become successful and some of them don't or whatever um, but it wasn't like a conscious thing on my mind. Um, but also just working at the record stores, I was like around music and bands and stuff. So do you feel like you would be where you are today if you hadn't worked at the record stores? Um, no, I wonder maybe because, you know, I mean, in some ways, if you think about it, when you have a store, you have this portal open to the public to mm-hmm, interact exactly. all the time. And so it's like your own Instagram. It's like pre Instagram, Instagram. Yeah. And I got a lot of press and it's not, I don't think I think about press in a way where, you know, there's lots of magazines out there and they need stuff to write mm-hmm. about. So it's not, you know, I mean, I think I had interesting stuff to write about. Sure. But I also, when you're in a place like New York city and, everybody's around and looking for stuff to write about. If you're kind of facing forward like that, you'll, you get it, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, you know, now things are so different, but I would say like pre-internet, how I did it was, Mm -hmm. you know, I advertised in fanzines. Um, (gasps) Really? Oh my God. Totally. Like which, which ones? Um, let's see. My friend Amy had this one. She was a college student maybe it's Sarah Lawrence I can't remember um she had one called Twinkle and I remember she came in the record store and was like it was like a girl zine and amazing I was like yeah I'll give you like $19 and here's my ad that I you know cut <laughs> and paste and Xerox the Kinkos or whatever and what did you put in the ad oh my god I mean I'll send you guys some pictures I remember I had this one that was like a Oh my god, what's his name? Who did like the good, the bad, and the ugly? Like the Russ Myers. Like I would take like mm-hmm. Russ Myers girls, or I would take, you know, pattern like girls from sewing patterns, and like cut them out, and then put like built by Wendy. And I posted some yes. on Instagram. There were some ads where it was like call or write, and it had my phone number and address. Like oh there was god. no email or anything like that. Right, there was no like website yeah. for them to yeah. actually look at anything. So. So how would they get in contact w- with you? Would they, well, they would have to call yeah, they would call right. Yeah, I have, le- I have letters. I've been going through my archives and stuff. Wow. And I have like, letters from people. And I have all my old ads. Um, but like when Grand Royal started, I would advertise in them. I remember I did like a cutest dog con- contest just because I like dogs. And I was like, this will be fun. Oh. I'll give away like a free guitar strap. People can send me pictures of their dogs and like – six people sent me pictures of their dogs <laughs> you know <laughs> i still have them and then like i was like you're the winner you know it's really dumb. <laughs> um but yeah so you know i had my stuff out 
and then it uh you know so people would come and buy it and i would have parties i would just promote in you know organic ways i'd have fashion shows i'd have flyers i'd advertise in zines and stuff that i could afford and then you know i'd get press you know free press um and then I mean, I really got a lot of free press for a long time. I don't think I hired a publicist until like maybe 2005 or something when I did the books and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, and then production wise, pre-internet, I mean, my factory was on 39th Street. You know, I get on the subway and go up there. You go to fabric people and order the fabric. I had a fax machine. Um, I had a pager briefly, but the only person oh. who paged me was my mom. So. <laughs> oh, I had an answering machine that I would have to go home, listen to the recording, and then call the people back. I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was DIY, yeah. DIY. Yeah, it was, it was pretty real. So, yeah. And when did you open up your store? Uh, your first store? So... I had an office up the street at Lafayette and Spring. Um, the building is now at Dwayne Reed, I think. But this building had tons of little tiny offices that were really cheap. So um, like Todd Phillips, the director, he had an office like on the floor above me when he was making like GGL and documentaries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Legs McNeil was a writer had an office there there was like a bunch of creative people who had little offices i shared my office with uh my friends Jeannie and sarah they had this new york uh, women's film festival so we shared this like tiny little office and they had one half and i had the other half um and then so one day i was walking around the neighborhood and i saw this storefront for for rent there was like a tiny little sign it was like for lease and so i called about it and it was a great space, but I, I couldn't afford it myself. And then Stephen Allen showroom was doing pretty well. He moved into the space on Mercer Street and he repped this other line called Cake. Um, his girlfriend, this woman, Sarah, it was her line. She did kind of sort of clubby clothes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Her clothes were nice. Anyway, so we ended up sharing the space and so we had the studio in the back and then we shared the store in front, but she only stayed a year and then I took it over fully. And you were able to support through sales. Yeah, I was weirdly. I, I honestly don't know (laughs) how I supported myself (laughs) on any of this. I mean, it's a constant struggle even now, to be honest, but, um, you know, what was selling at the time? Um, God, when I first opened, that's, I, I know mean, you don't, if you don't remember so long, I don't know, you know, just like everything, you know, I'd make mm-hmm. little dresses and coats and mm-hmm. pants and I had my guitar straps, wasn't really doing any t-shirts or jeans or anything like that. I mean, and you weren't selling any records were you? No, no, no. I did. You've I moved, think I made some beyond it. I think, yeah. Yeah. I quit the record stores maybe like 97. Yeah. Uh, no, no, maybe 96. It wasn't that long. I think I did the record stores maybe from like 94, 93 through 97. Then I got my office on Lafayette, maybe 97 or maybe 96. And then I moved into my studio in 98. And then I had that up until 2012. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I was wholesaling 
I was selling in Japan and different boutiques around the world and then, you know, selling retail out of my store. So I think I had maybe like one or two employees. Um, and I lived pretty cheaply. You know, my rent was cheap. I had a three bedroom on the Lower East Side for 900 bucks, which wow. was like so cheap. It's like nothing. Um, yeah, I did costume design for some play. Some kid was in He was like, it's like, I need an apartment. He's like, I need some monks costumes for this play. And I was like, okay, well, hook me up with your dad who owns the building. And like, you know, <laughs> I got an apartment. Um, but yeah, so everything was sort of, yeah, really analog like that. Financially, I, I would say that, you know, I don't, I think I got a bank loan, which helped me survive. And then, you know, the wholesale helped a bit, but then when I got, and we can talk about this later, but then when I got the thing with Wrangler in 2003, you know, I got paid a lot of money for that. And so I just <laughs> invested that. That's exciting. Yeah, it was amazing. And then, um, so I just invested that and in like, oh, I'm going to open a store in Brooklyn. And then I opened my LA store and I just put all that money back in, even though my account was like, you should buy an apartment. And I was like, what? Why would I buy an apartment? Like, I, that's <laughs> keep a investing. really stupid idea. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I put it all back in and then I got a book deal with Random House. And so you can advance for that. So, you know, I had other side money coming in that would support some of the designs that I made that were like total mashups that nobody would understand and didn't sell at all you know I mean you're such like a self-made success yeah. story thank you yeah I know <laughs> I remember talking to my friend I was like I want to be a self-made millionaire and he was like okay just so you know you don't have to do everything by yourself alone to make a million dollars and be self-made like you can have people working for you and I was like really no idea True. Hey, department listeners, it's me, Amanda, here to tell you that this conversation will be continued in next week's episode. That's right. This is a super exciting cliffhanger ending to our conversation with the one and only Wendy Mullen of Built by Wendy. I, oh my gosh, I have been fangirling so hard. <laughs> I'll probably spend the next week just lightly caressing my copy of So You from time to time. If you don't have your own copy to snuggle for the next week and you're looking for some way to keep the good vibes going, might I suggest strolling over to builtbywendy.com? Wendy has given us an extra special discount code that all of you can use for 20% off any full price style on the site. It's the department with no space between the two words, the department. And don't worry, we'll share that in the show notes. All right, well, see you next week. I'm going to pass this episode off to Dustin for the final sound mixing and then I'm going to do some roller skating in my driveway. Bye!